Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, you know those days, right? You know the days where you wake up or you've gone to sleep thinking about your to-do list or you're thinking about your work and you've maybe dreamt about it while you've been asleep and then you've woken up the next morning and your first thought is, right, what do I have to do? What do I have to do today? That's the first thought when you wake up and maybe you scroll through your phone and you look at the emails that might have come in overnight. You get up, you swallow down some breakfast. Maybe you're making breakfast for some kids, for some other people, making some lunch, chucking it all into a bag, racing out the door onto your next appointment. You bustle through the day, you hustle through the day, uh, all the things that you need to get done, whether you're at work or whether you were just tearing through a to-do list of things that you have to get done that day. Uh, Get to the end of the day, fall asleep thinking about all the things you did do, all the things you didn't do, all the things you need to do tomorrow, and on and on it goes. We have this relentless activity in our lives, uh, and where are we supposed to find breathing room? This relentless activity uh, is in itself stressful, but more than that, it crushes the open spaces in our soul where true life and true fruitfulness comes from. Is that your experience, or is it just me? We live in Sydney, right? As Sam said last time, we're not preaching to the Byron Bay Church of Christ where there's plenty of breathing room. We're on the lower north shore of Sydney. Um, And if there's anywhere in our country uh, that is characterised by this relentless activity, constant striving, constant pushing, it's Sydney, right? As a church, we're pretty much as Sydney as they come. Uh, And so this is uh, as pertinent as any a topic for us to look at. What does breathing room mean to our work? I'm conscious that not everybody in this room is going to be in paid employment, but all of us work in some way. We all expend effort towards an end or a goal. We all have to-do lists. We all have things we need to get done. And so when we're talking about work this morning, we're talking about the activity in our life, the things that we're doing Um, Breathing room, as a definition we've said, is the gap between our current pace of life and our limits. It's like the margin on a page. There's breathing room around the edge between your current pace and your limits. I used to work in in book publishing, as some of you will know, and when we built book production schedules, we would always build in a little bit of breathing room in case something went wrong. So if the author was late with their manuscript, if the editor took too long on editing the book, or if something went wrong on the printer end of things, there was a little bit of give uh, in the schedule in order that the book could get delivered on time. In the same way, uh, as as a production schedule for a book, book works better when there's breathing room. Our lives work better when there is breathing room. And it's the same when it comes to work. Our working works better when there's breathing room. Uh, But we don't need to look too far, do we, to see uh, that there's something wrong in our relationship to work. There is not much breathing room in our lives when it comes to work. I kind of think of it like a river that's broken its banks and takes over everything else. Our work just spills out of its proper God-ordained limits in our lives and spills out over everything else. We see people all around us burning out, burning twice as bright for half as long. Uh, we, all know, or we all know in our own lives what that feels like or we have seen someone else in our lives who that has happened to. It might be your experience of this river of work breaking its banks. It might be that other parts of your life are suffering because they're being consumed by activity, this relentless pushing and striving and achieving. It might be your health. It might be your family. It might be your marriage that this river of work has broken its banks and spills out into your thoughts, into your dreams, into your conversations, into your moods. Work is not just contained to work anymore, is it? It spills into our thoughts and our dreams and our conversations and our mood. 
There seems to be for us this constant activity, both external in the things that we do and internally within ourselves, that crushes the breathing room out of our lives, internally and externally. And our souls get crushed under the weight of our working, under the weight of our activity. And so what happens is that we are more in need of rest than ever and less able to rest than ever. One writer, Daryl Cosden, put it like this, the implications of this overgrown work that we have in our lives. Most scientists, sociologists and psychologists are telling us that our working and our works are killing us and our natural environment. Stress-related illness due to overwork is commonplace in Western culture. Don't we know that to be true? Human production and consumption lie at the heart of most of the problems in the world. The growing ecological crisis, the wealth disparity between North and South and the instability that this causes, and the countless other global conflicts we face, it is undeniable that our work, what we do and how we do it, is to a large extent to blame. Isn't it true that we have a problem with our work, both how we work and what we do when we work? But what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to move through this? How are we supposed to pull our work back from breaking its banks uh, to where it's supposed to be so that we have the breathing room in our lives that we need in order to thrive? And it's hard, isn't it, in Sydney? This is hard because our social worth is attached to how we make a living. Or if it's not attached to how we make a living, it's attached to the contribution that we make. It's attached to how much we're able to get done in a day. It's attached to how many balls we're able to juggle at the one time. Our worth is attached to how much capacity we have. It's a badge of honour, the badge of honour, I think, to be a high-capacity person. To not be a high-capacity person is almost a shameful thing. Oh, you're not good enough if you don't have a huge capacity to juggle lots of different balls or to get a lot done in one day. Does that ring true for you? We peg status to overachievement, we admire workaholics, we judge ourselves and others by how much we can get done in a day, and we're obsessed with productivity and efficiency. One writer, Ben Catt, put it this way, when efficiency is our goal, hustle, which is kind of the buzzword of the day in entrepreneurial circles, hustle squeezes out the heart and soul in life and work, and we're left with the endless pursuit of perfection and productivity. It's a bit of a soulless way to live, hey? And it has significant implications for us with this constant activity of working, achieving and striving, both externally, what we see in our schedules, what we actually do practically and internally within our own hearts. Our heart and soul sneaks out the back door. And what do you have at the end of the day if you don't have your heart? What do you have if you don't have your soul? We end up with what someone has, has coined as hurry sickness, racing from one thing to the next thing. Described this way, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time. Anyone ever felt that way? Yes. And so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. We can try to sustain living at breakneck speed, but sooner or later, physically, mentally and or emotionally, we fall apart. Yes, we see that. Our bodies and minds weren't meant to endure continual stress. Blood pressure spikes and eventually remains at an elevated level. Hearts wear out. We become irritable and easily angered and we get upset, sometimes to the point of weeping from frustration and exhaustion. 
You know, sometimes this is the realities of life. We need to rush things through. We need to hustle. hustle. We need to push for a deadline. But you live like that constantly and your soul sneaks out the back door. You might be productive, but sooner or later it's going to be a pretty soulless productivity. Proven over and over again to be lethal, chronic stress is said to cause heart disease, cancer and even death. When a busy life cycle is out of control, it's also said to isolate you from others and negatively impacts your sleep. Now, I've pushed that pretty hard. (laughs) That's pretty full on. But I want to do that intentionally in order that we see the implications of this, this, um, this relentless pursuit of activity that we're caught up in. This is a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. The implications and the cost to us are significant. That's why I've highlighted that and laboured that. This is a really big deal for our well-being and for the lives that we live and the true fruitfulness that God wants to bring about through our lives. Our our work is kind of like um, it's growing out of control in our society, in our lives. It's smothering other things and it's choking other parts of our lives. It's killing us off. It's like a vine whose branches are getting tangled and overgrown and choking out the spaces in our hearts and our lives where true fruitfulness can come from. So what do we do? Do we overcorrect and not work? Oscar Wilde liked the idea of not working. He said that hard work was the refuge of those who have nothing better to do. So that's an option, right? We can go the Oscar Wilde uh, way. However, the problem is not the presence of work in our lives. God worked. We see at the very beginning of the Bible of the Scriptures, God works in creating everything. Uh, We see Jesus talking about how his father was always working and so he too was working. The problem is not the presence of work, it's the absence of rest. Because work, as we've said, has overgrown its God-ordained limits in our lives and it's smothering out everything else. So is there a solution? You can tell I'm going to say yes, right? (laughs) Is there a way to live lives that are both fruitful and soulful at the same time? I want to say yes, there is. And Jesus shows us how in this passage today, John 15 He shows us the way to be most fruitful and most soulful at the same time. That's good news in Sydney, let me tell you, isn't it? A bit of background for John 15. Jesus, in this chapter, he's just had his last meal with his disciples before he goes to the cross uh, to uh, to finish the work that his father has sent him to do the ultimate work that he finished on our behalf. And they're probably, he and his disciples are walking from their dinner uh, towards the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays. Uh, and you can read about that story in the Bible. And they're probably walking past a vineyard and Jesus tells them this story, tells them this parable uh, that Richard read for us as they're walking probably past a vineyard on how to live fruitfully and faithfully in a world that has its own ways of defining success and its own methods for achieving success. And he says this to them. I want to focus on verses 1 to 4. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I'm going to call out just a few things from this and then we're going to focus in on one point that I want you to take away today if you're going to take away anything at all. First of all, this vine is, as Jesus says at the beginning here, is a metaphor for himself. He's saying that it's by making him our resting place. When it says uh, remain in me, another translation of that word is abide in me, make me your abode, make me your home, make me your resting place. Jesus is saying that I am the place for you to find rest And only from finding rest in Jesus can we live lives that are truly fruitful, the lives that we were most designed to live, the most productive, the most fruitful, the most good lives that we can live. Only through finding rest in him. Secondly, God wants you to be fruitful. God is not opposed to work and he's not opposed to hard work. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants to do lots of good things through your life. The problem is that for a lot of us, we're very productive and we've achieved lots of things and we've succeeded in lots of things, but in the kind of way that we're like an overgrown vine. And God wants to come along to some of us today and cut back some of that overgrowth so that we can be most truly fruitful out of who who he has created us to be. True fruit, not just human productivity. Not just human cleverness, but fruit that is produced out of a place of being at rest in him. And here's what I, where I want to focus for the rest of our time this morning. Verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. There's this writer called N.T. Wright who um, was commenting, uh, commentating on this passage and um, in reading what he said he was saying that he um, isn't much of a gardener but he does know a a thing or two about how to prune a rose bush and in his experience a rose bush is a little bit like a vine and it's a little bit more familiar to our own kind of lives which is why he uses this as an illustration but he was saying that if you just let the rose bush grow on its own it gets tangled it grows in on itself it blocks the light that it needs in order to be most fruitful to produce the best quality roses that it's capable of producing and he was saying that you prune a rose bush back in order that instead of producing lots and lots of second-rate roses, it will produce a fewer number of more magnificent roses. It will produce the best roses that it's capable of producing if its overgrownness is cut back by the gardener. And it's the same for vines. You don't, you don't prune back, you don't cut back a vine in order to take away its productivity and make it less beautiful. You prune it back in order to help it be its best self, in order to help it be the most fruitful that it can be. If it's the case for rose bushes and it's the case for vines, the inference is that it's the same for us. There's a lot of productivity in our lives. There's a lot of things that we do, that we achieve, that we accomplish through our own human drivenness that God wants to cut out, that he wants to prune back. Not in order to make us, not because he's mean or he's stingy or he wants to make us less beautiful, but because he wants us to produce the most beautiful things through our lives, the most beautiful He wants to help us reach our potential, to call out the things that he has truly put in us that potentially are not coming out now because of all of the busyness and all of the activity that we're currently seeing. Do you follow? In Sydney, we have the capacity to let our work, our activity, both internal and external, 
grow out of control like vine branches, right? They smother other parts of our life. It weaves in and through every other part of our life, filling our thoughts and our dreams and our conversation and our moods, and it chokes it. My question for you this morning is this. What parts of your life is the vine of your working choking? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your grandkids? Is it your church life? Is it your relationship with God? Is it your friendships? Is it your physical health? Is it your mental health? Is it your home life? Is it your self-care? Is it your emotions? Is it your work itself? Is your work choking your own work? Now, because we value activity and productivity in our society so much, um, that out-of-control vine might actually look really big and showy and impressive, and it's going to be hard to let go of. People might applaud you because of this out-of-control, overgrown vine in your life of your working and your activity. And we like it because it makes us look impressive, it makes us look important, but actually it's choking us and it's choking parts of our lives and those around us. And it's not the best fruit that God can bear through your life. It's not the most beautiful life that you could live. And in his kindness, he wants to cut it out intentionally, deliberately, strategically and carefully in order that you might bear, have the most fruitful life that you could possibly have by creating some breathing room. Now, this is costly, particularly if your sense of self, your identity is attached to this overgrown vine in your life. You know what it is if that's you. It's going to feel hurtful and it's going to feel counterproductive at first. But as N.T. Wright puts it, this is an intimate process with God and the vine dresser or the gardener is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand to create some breathing room by cutting out the overgrown vine branches. You with me? Good. So maybe that sounds fair enough. I'm not sure what you're thinking. Let's hoping you think, okay, I think you've got me like halfway there. Sounds terrifying, but sounds fair enough, I think. Maybe you're asking, if I were to let God cut back this overgrowth of activity in my life, what would that look like? How do I participate with God as he does that? How do I submit to the knife of the gardener? Is it just working fewer hours? Is it just cutting back on things on my to-do list? Is it doing some things not quite perfectly? How do I do it? Now, it might be. That might be part of it. But if you are anything like me, uh, you know that um, as soon as you cut some of that growth away, it'll just come right on back if you don't deal uh, with what's going on underneath the working, the working underneath the working, the motivation for striving and the motivation for doing lots of activity. 
you know that the constant external activity is driven by the constant internal activity. And this is because of what I said before, our society values us according to our activity, according to our productivity, according to our capacity, according to what we do. And until we know that we're enough internally and we come to a place of rest in Jesus internally, we're never going to be able to stop externally. So I want to suggest this morning that what God as the loving gardener wants to work on, wants to do some work, that he wants to do some, of, some work on the part of your soul that drives you to work and achieve and accomplish. He wants to give some breathing room to your soul. The part of you that drives you to work. And this is not a blame thing. This is, this, is, this is part of living in Sydney. It's very easy to get caught up into this. This is the messages that we get all around us every day. What does it look like to live in Sydney from a, from a place of being fruitful and soulful and having breathing room? Well, this is it. God wants to access our motivations for working in order to either cut them out or prune them back so that our lives would be even more fruitful and even more soulful. So how do we respond to God wanting to deal with our constant internal striving, our constant internal working? All good? Good. Just checking. Tim Keller says that we can only rest. Well, we do this. How do we respond to God? We respond to him as he does this by looking back. Tim Keller says that we can only rest when we're able to look back at our work and be utterly satisfied with what's been done. You know the feeling at the end of a day of hard work and you think, yeah, I did that, that was good, I did a good job, I can rest. It's that kind of sense, you can put it down. We're only able to rest when we can look at our work and be utterly satisfied with what's been done. The challenge, of course, in our society is that it's never good enough. It's never enough. There's always more to be done. The expectation and the bar is always higher and higher. It's a never-ending ladder. So we're never able to look back at our own lives and be satisfied with what we've done because it's never going to be enough. It's never-ending. And so looking over our lives to see if we're good enough or smart enough, perfect enough or worked long enough hours or we're impressive enough in that presentation, that's never going to be enough to give us the internal rest that we need (coughs) in order to stop the external activity and bring work back into the banks of the river. But there's something else we need to look back on. And instead of looking back over our own lives and our own working What if we were to look back over the perfect, finished, acceptable life of Jesus that he lived on our behalf? What if we were able to say, I am not enough, I'm not okay because of my own working. I'm okay in the world, I'm acceptable because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. He lived a perfect life, he finished it, he hung on the cross and said, it is finished That was on our behalf, that was for us, so that we can look back on a work that was finished and complete and perfect and say, that was for me. And so I've looked back and I can rest because my work in him is finished and I rest not on my own work but on his finished work on my behalf. Doesn't that give us rest? Eternal rest for our souls. 
When we get that, when we truly get that rest, the working underneath the working stops. When God, the gardener, cuts internal striving out of our hearts, we have rest. We're okay. We're acceptable. We've made it in him. We can breathe. We can have internal breathing room, which bubbles up to the surface of our lives to give us external breathing room. When you deal with the internal working, sooner or later, the fruit of that, the external working, is going to start to shrink back into its proper place. We find rest by attaching ourselves to the perfect finished work of Jesus. Our rest is found in knowing him. That's why he can say um, in Matthew chapter 11, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work. See that work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Not working out of striving, but out of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And when we get that internal rest, when God cuts back this overgrowth of activity and of striving in our hearts, which is going to have implications for the external activity, suddenly what happens is that these open spaces in our souls start to open up again. They're life source open spaces from which true fruitfulness and true creativity spring. Have you ever noticed that it's in your downtime, in your leisure time, that you have those aha moments? When, you're, when your brain is switched off, when you're not trying to do anything, when you're not striving, when you're at rest, that's when aha moments come from. That's where they come from. It's when our moments of innovation and creativity come from. So doesn't it stand to reason that our best fruitfulness, our best contribution to the kingdom is going to arise out of lives of restfulness? The best fruit, the most beautiful things we do, the most, the most good ways that we interact with one another and the world around us are going to spring out of hearts that are at rest in Jesus. You know, God, this gardener, doesn't want to just create this breathing room in your soul just for you. It's for a grander purpose. It is for you and it's for your family and for, for all those in your life, but it's also for a grander purpose. Did you know that looking forward as well as looking back, that you're working and the fruit of your life is building towards eternity? That your work is just not about this life now. One day Jesus is coming back, resurrected Jesus in human form, and he's going to resurrect all things bodily, physically. And if he's going to resurrect all things, that means he's going to resurrect your work. It's not just people who work with souls that have significant work. You have significant work. Your everyday, ordinary, office grind work has significance. One day Jesus is going to take all the things that we do day to day and incorporate them into the shape of eternity. Isn't that amazing? The work you do has significance. Imagine what fruitfulness God might be able to bring about through your life in order to build what heaven is going to look like. Heaven will look different because you lived and the way that you work, the things that you do in your work are going to shape what heaven looks like for eternity. 
Your work has significance. This is why it's so important for us to talk about this. The things you do in your life, whether it's paid employment or not, the activity that you do, the ways that you expend your energy and your effort have, have eternal significance. That's why it's so important for us to look back on the finished work of Jesus that we might have a rest for our souls knowing that we are enough in him and be freed up to be fruitful and creative in him so that we can be most fruitful in our work which is building towards the shape of eternity. See how significant this is? This is really, really important for us to grasp. My prayer for us, is, for, a, for us as a community is that in God we would be a people of real soulfulness through having breathing room in our lives in order that God might make us people of true fruitfulness. That we would have a contribution not just for life in this life but into all of eternity because of this. Can you imagine the creativity and the vitality and the openness that might emerge from our community if we were to live like this? What would people see if they looked at a community of soulfulness and fruitfulness as they looked in? I suspect they'd see Jesus. We're going to take some time for reflection now, as we've been doing at the end of each of the messages uh, in this series. And there's some questions that I want you to think through. The first is a question, um, and then if they can just come up on the screen. And then after that, um, a prayer. The first one, what parts of your life is your activity choking? What's being choked out by the activity? Is it your marriage, your kids, your health, your relationships? And then to think through, I'm worried that if I let God cut overgrown activity out of my life, then what that's getting at is what are you, how are you resisting? What are you worried will fall over? And then a prayer, Jesus, thank you for your finished, that should be your, your finished perfect work that you offer to make mine. I accept your work as my own and declare that it is very good. I declare that I am not enough because of my works, but because of your work on my behalf. And so I rest in you. We'll take a few minutes for that now.
we read in the scriptures that when Jesus was hanging on that cross to make a way for us to find rest, to take away our striving and our working and our shame. And it says this, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know, it is finished. That is for you this morning. But as you consider your life, am I good enough? Have I done enough? And that internal, um, that internal machine of activity continues to tick over and strive over. Would you let those words ring in your ears of Jesus saying to you, it is finished. I have lived a perfect life. I've died the death that you should have died. I've been raised to life so that you can be raised to life too and live the most fruitful life you can through the power of my Holy Spirit. It is finished. You are enough in me when you rest on my finished work. And as we stay in this space, we're going to open up a time to come to the fort, come to the front for those of us who are followers of Jesus to remember the faith that we have in him to place our confidence again in his finished work to take a cup of juice and a little gluten-free cracker to remember the blood his death the blood that was spilled and his body that was broken to make a way for us to be whole and to be at rest and at peace in him If you would like some prayer in this time when everyone's up and moving around, why don't you come up to the back of the auditorium? We would love to pray for you. If you want to talk this through a bit bit more, whether you're someone who follows Jesus or not, we would love to chat chat this through with you some more. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here checking out Jesus and Christianity, would you use this time just to reflect, have a think about what's been said, have a think about what it is that Jesus, that we believe Jesus offers to you this morning. We've also got the ministry of anointing today. If you'd like someone to pray over you, dip their finger in some oil and put a little cross on your forehead as a mark of the power of God in your life, of his rest that's available to you. Why don't you come to the back? We'd love to minister to you in that way. So in this place of rest now, take a breath, have some breathing room, come take communion uh, and receive prayer. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.